welcome to the Power of One podcast series, brought to you in association with the special edition Mazda RX-8PZ. For more information on the car, please visit www.mazda.co.uk. Better known to his legions of fans around the world as Foggy, uh, seven times world motorcycle champion Carl Fogarty is one of those rare athletes who has transcended his sport to become a household name. Although injury put an end to his riding career in 2000, Foggy's been keeping busy by entering into the world of team ownership with a Foggy Patronus. He's also released a DVD, which no self-respecting Christmas stocking should be without this year, called Phileas Foggy's New Zealand Adventure, which sees Foggy and his lovely wife, Michaela, travel the length of New Zealand on two state-of-the-art BMW bikes, stopping off for all manner of high-octane thrills along the way. So, uh, Phileas Foggy, you should be ashamed of yourself for that. Who, whose idea was that? It wasn't mine. I just wanted to call it Foggy's... New Zealand adventure, but um, I was persuaded otherwise. But yeah, it's embarrassing. Also, <laughs> uh, yeah, there's some author be spinning in his grave. You made the DVD with your wife for 15 years, uh, Michaela, and it reminded me of a, of a couple on blind date reporting back to Scylla on an outing that went really well. So you obviously enjoyed it. Yeah, it was an amazing time. It was very difficult as well because as soon as we got off the plane, we were straight into filming. I guess really jet lag and all and a bit disorganised the first few days and the helmet wouldn't fit properly just things that seemed to like just unsettle us at first four days and it, it wasn't that enjoyable it was hard work and then once that kind of you got into it really and your jet lag had gone then the sort of next sort of what, seven, eight, nine days were just you know fantastic really just doing everything from shearing sheep to wine tasting to jumping off cliffs camping out fishing the whole lot's in there it's, it's incredible two weeks we did, did did in two weeks what really should do in probably two months and no animals I should stress were hurt in the <laughs> filming apart from one small fish which I should stress you didn't catch your wife did that's right she did yeah I couldn't believe it. I was absolutely gutted um, I wanted to catch a trout I wouldn't believe and uh she caught one, and uh, but definitely if I looked at it, it just I think the trout was just managing his own business. He just come spinning over it and just dragged it by the tail in and kicking up and down the, the side of the, the lake. But um, yeah, she caught one, and it wasn't big enough to eat, so I had to put it back and uh, almost had to starve that night until the guys come down with a pizza delivery at nine o'clock at night and give it to, into brought it into the tent. So yeah, it was just uh, it was just crazy everything. Now, you've won seven world titles because four of them weren't on superbikes. They tend to be sort of overlooked by people. Does that bother you at all? And, and could you talk us through, through the, the three that weren't done on the, the superbikes? It doesn't bother me at all, to be honest. It's, you know, it, you understand why the, the superbikes are a lot more high-profile championship anyway, so that, that's the reason why. But they were just as hard to win if not harder in some ways in the world superbikes uh, one's a 24 hour um, world championship which doesn't really need much explaining you know 24 hour races uh, in like Le Mans and Boldor and uh, other places in Belgium and 6 hour 8 hour races in Malaysia and uh, in Japan and stuff so you know we, we came out tops that year with me and uh, my, my teammate was, was Terry Ramon but we both won the world championship and the other two were were street street-based world championships which are based on road circuits like the Alaman TT and circuits in Ireland and Portugal and Finland places like that so that, that was a real tough championship to win because he races against the more, on the most dangerous circuits in the world and uh, you know they, I'm proud of them all to be honest but uh, like I said the, the ones that get mentioned the world superbikes because kind of when I won it it was really really big was world superbikes probably if not bigger than Grand Prix at, you know, sort of the end of the 90s and certainly been a bit of a change now but yeah they, I'm really proud of them all to be honest 
And one of my earliest memories is being at the TT races in the Isle of Man. We we just happened to be on holidays there, and they were on, and watching them, it was absolutely terrifying. Um, what, what's it like to ride? Yeah, it's an incredible place, really. I, I was brought up with it, the Alaman TT, really. Uh, my father used to race there for for many years, and it was like a holiday for us, as well as my dad racing from being born to being sort of like 22 years old. And I never missed a year. I always wanted to race the TT and win the TT, and I finally did that in the late 80s, early 90s, and uh, I just loved it. It just incredible circuit you know I mean I didn't I think as you, when you're younger you don't realise how how dangerous things are anyway you just want to win something and I think once I won it I didn't really feel the same about it again when I had to go back there the year after but uh, just the best I remember crying almost coming down the mountain in the last lap of the race thinking I'm going to win the, t- the biggest race of the TT the senior TT on the Friday and uh, it's just I, I can't remember ever doing that again in a race uh, when I was going to win starting to cry on the last lap so I think it was meant so much to win the Alaman TT and it was just fantastic you know it's the toughest circuit in the world and to to be the last person really to win that and go on to world success um, you know I don't think that record of mine will be broken in some ways I can't see anyone racing the TT anymore and never going to world superbike or grand prix to be honest uh, am I right in thinking you had the lap record for the TT as well? Do you still have it? No, I, I had it for a long time. I set it in the last time I was there in 1992, uh, and it didn't get broken until 1999, which is amazing, really, for uh, lap records usually get broke every year, and for that stands seven years. On the bike, I did it on as well, which wasn't particularly that fast that year as well, so that was amazing, and it was probably meant more to me than actually winning the TT was becoming the fastest man around there. That was always what I wanted to be, really, the fastest guy around the TT circuit. And for people who don't know, am I correct in thinking a, a TT lap is 37 miles? Is that right? Or yeah, it's 37 miles and a, I think a quarter, something like that. I can't remember what it is, but 37 miles. And uh, I got around in 18 minutes, 18 seconds at that, that set that record at that, at that point, which is an average speed of 123 mile an hour. I think it's up to 128 now or 29, I'm sure it is, yeah. That's astonishing. You, I presume you have to memorise it, basically, do you? Yeah, I think it took me two or three years, three years to learn the TT circuit, you know, um, and really dial into my head what I had to do there to win at that uh, that particular circuit, really. Um, yeah, three years to learn it and then fourth year to go out and win it, and that's, that's how it kind of worked out, really. You said your dad was a racer. Did he sort of nudge you into it or pressure you to, to ride bikes, or was it your own choice? No, not at all, no. It was totally my own choice, Um he just backed me and helped me any way he could when I, when I decided I wanted to, you know, to race motorbikes, basically. But um, I think it was always going to happen, being brought up with him. I was, I was always going to do it, I think, really. Had he played golf or football, then I probably would have gone and done that, I think. But uh, when you're brought up with something, you, you tend to, I think, find that you, that, you, that person ends up doing, doing that thing. So, But, no, he supported me a lot in the, in the early years, for sure. And as a superbikes rider, your name quickly became synonymous with Ducati, and you were renowned as a very aggressive racer. Um, is that what set you apart from your opponents? Uh, possibly, yeah. I think I was. I was a bad loser, but I think I, I, I really hated losing badly. And I, you know, I think anyone who hates losing becomes a winner. I think um, in most cases, and it was just that single-mindedness, determination uh, to win at all costs was, I think, one thing that I had more than anybody else, I think. I don't think I was any more naturally talented than anybody else. I, I definitely wasn't. You know, I couldn't do things that a lot of guys could do on bikes. You know, but I could go round bends very, very fast, and that's what wins races. And, you know, it was because I was so determined to, to win that it made me that way, I think. And I read somewhere that you, you once said you'd rather crash trying to win than... Um 
you know settle for a, a comfortable second is is that the case did I say that um, I, I think <laughs> you, you could have been misquoted <laughs> yeah I think there's, there's kind of bits of truth in that but then if I sort of analyse it now I think well no because you know end of the day I want to win the world championship and if I can't win the race then really I need to pick up second third and fourth to, to get them points for the championship but I probably did start in the early years because I just couldn't stand, I couldn't stand not winning really. And at what point did you realise how enormous the whole sort of foggy phenomenon had become, you know, or were you aware of it at the time? No, I wasn't really. It's funny. It's even now, I still, I still not get used to it. You know, um, it didn't really happen, or I didn't notice it at all until I'd finished racing. To be honest, um, even now, every day of my life, wherever you go, you get recognised. And you know, I certainly wasn't aware of that when I was, you know, in nineteen ninety nine and two thousand, I was still racing. Um, but yeah, just wasn't aware of it at all. And uh, during your career, you had a bit of a reputation for being outspoken, and and some said arrogant. Do you do you think it was justified? Um, yeah, I think they probably had a point. Um, but I, I was, yeah. Um, I think I always said what everybody else was thinking, you know. And I still, I'm still like that now, really. I say things and people cringe, and you know, when you ask them, do you agree? The nine times out of ten, they go, well, yeah, but you shouldn't have said it anyway. Um, but yeah, I, I regret when you look back. Sometimes you, you, I kind of cringe at how I was and stuff. But people makes and stuff will say, "Look, if he wasn't like that, you probably wouldn't have won anything." So, you know, I'm not going to regret anything because, like I say, if I wasn't, that was my makeup, that was my character. And if I wasn't like that, then I probably wouldn't wouldn't have won anything. So I'm I'm happy with it. <laughs> and in the DVD, at, at one sort of moment of reflection, you say that uh, you, you kind of it was kind of bravado. You had to be like that to win races. Is is that? true so that you said you're a nice guy deep down which and you seem like a lovely fella so. <laughs> I am I'm pretty you know you take off the helmet and away from the racetrack and I'm always a bit shy and very quiet really and you know once people get to know me they're surprised I think really but uh, my image has gone out the window I guess when you watch the DVD because it's you know nothing like the, the, the character I portray I guess from, from when I was racing so you know that's it and when you were racing how did you cope with the, the pressures off the bike like the any time you came out of the trailer people would have wanted a piece of your interviews annoying people like myself or whatever um, that's not something you can train for really you just have to pick it up as you go along was it difficult for you? that was the hardest thing I found really I, I wasn't comfortable with it um, I didn't like it in some ways uh, Sounds like you know you don't you know you're a bit ungrateful, but I found it very hard. I think the the, the more pressure I put myself, the, the more pressure that it came from the fans and the media, everything really, and it was just crazy. In '99, it was just expectation was so high, and the crowds were you know the biggest crowds of any sporting event in Britain and stuff ever. Um, so I didn't enjoy that side of it really. Cause I, I couldn't you know I had to focus on what I was doing, and every time you come out of the motor home or went to the garage or something at the racetrack there's just hundreds of people everywhere and trying to get a piece of and you know I'm there to do a job and I found it really really hard work I must admit I, I didn't enjoy it at all and even now I still find it a little bit hard work I still I can feel myself changing as I come closer to the racetrack you know um, when I fly out there on a Thursday or whatever um, I just change I, I go quiet and I, I get I don't know. I just, I just, I'm, I'm, I'm not as as relaxed as I am at home. Obviously, when I get to racetrack, but even now, I find it hard to, you know, deal with people at racetracks. I'm always something else on my mind. I always want to be somewhere else. You know. Were you ever scared on a bike? No, never, never. Um, I think the only time possibly was a TT when I went back after I won there, and I wasn't comfortable with it really. But that's the only time. Um, I was never scared, no, uh, doing a race or anything like that. I just, you know, I think 
Did that ever come across your mind then you were in the wrong kind of business, I think, really? Or it was time to retire, but no, it, it never really happened to me, to be honest. And you hear about sometimes maybe jockeys losing their nerve and that they have to quit, they just their bottle goes at a certain age. Is that something that happens to, to racing drivers or I'm sure it does. It, it didn't happen to me, mate. It was kinda of, it was taken away from me. I didn't you know, I was still you know, starting starting the, the defense of my world championship in, in 2000, and the second round it was crash, bang, walloping all over, and I didn't know anything about it really. It was just a freak crash, and that was it. So, but I'm sure that that's how it does happen. You start losing your nerve and doubting yourself and get a bit scared, and then when that creeps in, then then you then you you quit racing or whatever sport you're doing for sure. The injury that forced you to retire um, when when it, you had the crash, did you realize how serious it was at the time? Um, not straight away. No, I was knocked out anyway. I, I didn't really. I come around a couple of days later, properly in hospital in, in Melbourne, and uh, even then, I didn't know until I got back and went to see a, a professor of, of whatever he called him. Shoulder injury. Yeah, whatever. He's you know really good, top top guy in uh, in the country. I went to see him, and uh, and you know he he said out you know about it really. Right. And you tested your shoulder doing a couple of laps at the Mugello circuit in Italy in September 2000 how far into the lap were you when you you realized the jig was up I don't know really I just got on the bike and I couldn't even I couldn't even get behind the ferry you know behind the screen of the bike it was just I just knew straight away I was just in the right state and but I kind of knew before I got on the bike really I just thought I had to just confirm it when I got on the bike and I was just a million miles off you know um a million miles from the guy that was a world champion only a few months before that you know it was just an absolute nightmare really you went into team ownership then with uh, Foggy Patronus and your results weren't great but just getting a team onto the the grid is a a huge achievement from scratch do you you think people realise that or do you care yeah, I mean, it's easy to do it if you got if you use a, a proven manufacturer, I guess. But the way we did it is the hardest thing in the world to do. And uh, you know, but we did it. We achieved everything uh, that we were we was responsible for, or I was responsible for, responsible for. Sorry, as a team, we achieved everything and, and did it very, very well. Um, the one thing that we were never responsible for and, and never had any say in it was the engine, and that's the, thing, the only thing that's let us down for the last sort of few years. So, from what 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 we did, what I was in charge of, I think we had, you know, a state of the art team out there that opened everyone's eyes. He had a massive image, big name, things that people people hadn't seen before. It was uh, fantastic, you know, what, what what you know what was it we was in charge of doing basically. But the engine was the thing that was frustrating me for four or five years and, and let us down at the end really. And that was that was the sad thing about it because you know at the end of the day that's the most important thing to go out and get results. And did you enjoy the experience of? Or do you enjoy the experience of, of team running a team? Because like, when you were riding, your sort of responsibilities started and ended in, in the saddle, but here you have to look after everything. Um, yeah, I found, I use the word frustrating a lot. It was frustrating to, to not to be able to win races, and yeah, I had to get used to that, I guess. But um, I enjoyed it because I was learning something new, really, and I had people around me that you know helped me do all that, really. People I'd known for quite a long while, so... That made it easier, um, but you know, it's been an you know, incredible experience, really, and hopefully it'll continue. I believe your contract with Patronus is up now, so what's, what does the future hold? Or Will you have a team, or are you in the process of trying to get new sponsors? Yeah, pretty much. The contract with Patronus obviously finished, like you say, uh, in October. Um, and the inward, that's where we are now, trying to find new, new, new sponsors to carry on, really. Um, 
Everything's there. All the, all the infrastructure is probably one of the best race teams in the world. You know, infrastructure-wise, with all the the offices and workshops and things. Um, and you know, manufacturers. There's been three or four manufacturers willing to come on board and you know help in in, in, in however you know they can help sort of thing. But uh, the one thing that we need to find is the money to do this. So. As yet, we haven't uh, cut anything. It is quite getting quite late in the day now, but uh, we're still down. You know, talking to two sponsors quite you know quite way down the line. And if something comes in the next week or two, then it'll all be you know be great. Really, we can you know go out and, and win some races, I guess, which is something I, you know, I'm dying to do again. All right. Well, hopefully that'll happen, Carol. Thank you very much. Thank you. Cheers.